Thank you so much. Good morning. So wonderful to be with you. For those that are joining now online, special welcome to you. Hope you get a sense of the presence of the Lord here this morning in these various services. We're turning in our Bibles once again now to the book of Acts, and we're making our way to the 24th chapter. And in this 24th chapter, maybe a bit of a review is in order here. For you see, what the Apostle Paul has experienced now is that he has stood before the governor of Caesarea, named Felix. He has listened to his accusers. There's false accusations. And then what he had to do is to be able to provide a faithful answer before this governor. It's a reminder to each and every one of us is that whenever we are dealing with false assumptions. False assumptions can lead to false accusations. And Jesus experienced this. God's people experienced this. But what has happened now is that the Apostle Paul has remained in custody. He is in the Praetorium in Caesarea. Roman government has gotten involved in this process. And what I'm going to want to do with you this morning is to explore this whole subject of how believers can exercise significant influence on civil government in times such as these. The Apostle Paul serves an extraordinary model as to how you can go about doing that. And you don't have to wait until the elections to do it. The Apostle Paul demonstrates the ability to be able to reason with governmental officials in the in-between times of life. And that's what I want to explore with you this morning. As we now pick it up on this in Acts chapter 24, and we're looking now at verse 22 and down through verse 27. And here Luke the physician pens these words. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Well, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control on the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often, conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, 
desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. For God to prayer, a word on that last phrase. For you see, Felix was known for being heavy-handed against Jewish uprisings. And so they reported, many Jews did, to Rome, the fact that they thought that this governor was ineffective, and furthermore, they had issues with him. And so he was on the hot seat. And so that last verse gives you the impression, then, that he was trying to do the Jews a favor, so that at that point, then, he would be able to maintain his governorship. That's the history behind that last verse, as we look to our Lord now in prayer. And our Father, what we want to do is to be able to explore your word. Today, you've given us the theme of how believers can exercise significant influence on civil government. And you give us the example of the Apostle Paul and his discussions with the Governor Felix. So help us to be able to glean the insights that we need here to be effective so that we can not only be the light, but also sought. In other words, as Jesus would have put it, in such a way, Father, that we are going to have impact revealing truth to this world and restraining evil in this world, light and salt. So now, Father, you know the needs here. You know the struggles. The person that will be watching either right now or in the coming days online, in the aloneness of their setting, maybe it's been hard. Maybe they feel so disconnected. Struggles. Those in the services today, Father, can feel the same way. You can be alone and not be lonely. But it's also very possible, Father, to feel very lonely even if you're not alone. So for that disconnected one who might feel lonely in relationship to you, there's been a gap, distance. Remind them that the cross of Jesus Christ has both a vertical and horizontal dimension attached to it. And you've got a way of reaching out and reaching in, meeting us at a point of need. So Father, for that loved one, that friend, that family member who seems so distant from you right now. Occasionally during this teaching, may we find ourselves pausing and offering a succinct prayer to you that you break into that heart, that soul, that mind. Stir them like Felix was stirred. But in our prayers, we're praying that they would come to know you. So Father, these moments are important. We're dealing with ultimate issues, eternal truths. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wheels. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, come with me now to the Praetorium, where, where we're going to go into the Procurator's Palace, and we're going to explore the setting where the Apostle Paul was being held in custody. And while there, allow for this story to begin to float through your mind as you're thinking not only about the way in which Felix would impact, influence the governorship of Felix. Think about the various ways in the states in which believers can likewise impact people who are in positions of governmental authority. For reading through, once again, Billy Graham's book, Just As I Am, his autobiography, he writes with regard to LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, former president of the United States, In 1971, when the Texas legislature passed a resolution inviting us to hold a crusade in Austin, Texas, that would be held in 73, while they were in session, LBJ wrote to me that he and Lady Bird were planning to be with us, not at the Austin crusade, which never did take place, but at the Dallas Crusade later that year. I want to endorse that resolution, he added. And if you are able to accept, you'll hear me saying amen from the front row at Memorial Stadium. Interestingly, LBJ's grandfather was a professor of biblical studies at Baylor. And Graham knew it. And it's important to be able to understand backgrounds of people when you are ministering effectively. Now, I knew he wasn't a saint, and when I spoke warmly about his spiritual convictions, I was not forgetting his inconsistencies. But now the following words captured my attention. Did the president intimidate me? Maybe just the opposite. I think I intimidated him. He liked having me around for personal as well as political reasons. But I did not avoid taking issue with him or probing his soul whenever I thought it was necessary. At a gathering of police chiefs in Kansas City in September of 67, for example, I was present to hear his address. That evening, when I spoke at our crusade meeting in the municipal stadium, I said I disagreed with some of the things he had said that morning. And I went on to say, I'm going to tell you what the Bible teaches. And oh, did the media pick up on that one in a hurry. I was setting the president straight, in public at that. And the president phoned me the next day. What's the matter with you, he grumbled, and then shouted. I thought you were my friend. I am, I replied. But I can't always agree with everything you say. He changed the subject and never brought it up again. What we find here now is the fourth defense of the faith that's described in Acts 22 through 26, 
with regard to the way in which the Apostle Paul is speaking and testifying and offering insight as to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. What you and I have to bear in mind is that he is a representative of uppercase government, God. And he is representing God to lowercase authority, government, in this case, Felix. And what I want to do is to explore the way in which the Apostle Paul, this brilliant rabbi, who is also a Roman citizen, is able to exercise significant influence here on civil government in a way that will cause people to think, process, and deal with issues at hand. Because his model should be a model for you and should be a model for me as well. So what I want to do now with you this morning and in these six or so verses is to simply draw out three significant obstacles that we are going to have to overcome to be able to have this kind of influence that Paul is demonstrating. And the first comes out of verses 22 and 23, and we're going to put it like this, that as Christians, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Christians can exercise significant influence on civil government, number one, even when personal liberties are being restricted. And Paul's liberties are being restricted. He's got his accusers, his false accusation, he has addressed false accusations, you see, with faithful answers in the court of law, as now secular government is involved. And so you pick it up now in verse 22. And I want you to ponder the way in which God has sovereignly positioned Felix and with whom Felix is married for a time such as this. But Felix. But Felix after hearing this account of the resurrection of the dead in the prior verse of verse 21, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes, I will decide your case. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. We're told here that Felix has a rather accurate knowledge of the way doesn't say he's got full accurate knowledge of the way, but he's got a rather accurate knowledge of the way. In other words, he is politically and he is religiously acquainted with the one who is known as the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, you see, but through Jesus Christ, true then, true now, always will be true. Furthermore, for the sixth time in the book of Acts, God's people, those who put faith and trust in Yeshua, Jesus, are referred to as the way. So as people of the way, we are committed to the one who is the way. And that's why, again, Isaiah, eight centuries prior to Jesus Christ, would pen these words prophetically. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Speaking of John the Baptist's ministry 
is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So then, people have to grapple with the fact that believers that are living in a pluralistic culture, such as America, as Paul was living in a Roman culture of his day and age, where there is pluralistic mindsets with regard to what is true, along comes people who are claiming to be part of the way, and how does the way minister effectively in a culture that proclaims multiple ways. E. Stanley Jones tells of a missionary who got lost in an African jungle. Nothing around him but bush and a few cleared places. And he found a, a native hut and asked the native if uh, he could get him out. And the native said he could. All right, said the missionary, show me the way. And the natives said, walk. And so they walked, and they walked, and they hacked their way through the unmarked jungle for more than an hour, and the missionary got worried. Are you quite sure this is the way? Where's the path? And the native responded, Sir, in this place, there is no path. I am the path. Now, in this world, it is a jungle of beliefs. What God has ordained God's people to be are people of the way. They are bearing witness to the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way. Felix, the governor here, Roman governor, he has an acquaintanceship with, he has an awareness of the way. And furthermore, he has been heavy-handed when it came to uprisings throughout his district that he superintended. So now, Luke the physician tells us that Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. It's an interesting word in the Greek, and for those that are unfamiliar, the New Testament, and the Newer Testament was written in the Greek language, the Older Testament written in Hebrew. For you see, the Greek word here for to put them off is anabello in the Greek, which carries with it, it's a legal term. It involves the adjourning of a hearing. So now, the accusers have been adjourned. They have been told, go home. So now it's going to be Felix, one-on-one, or we're going to see two-on-one, as Drusilla joins him with Paul. So Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. If you see, Lysias was the commander that had Paul initially incarcerated. And he would have been an independent witness, one where you wouldn't expect bias for either side. Now, Felix wants some alone time. So it gets quiet. And then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have 
some liberty. And what you and I will find is that throughout history, believers have had varying degrees and various experiences with liberty. But it has not hindered their witness. John Bunyan was imprisoned. Likewise, the Apostle Paul experienced various imprisonments. So much so that he would write to the Corinthians, far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death, he would pen describing his life encounter with the risen one, Jesus Christ. What we have to bear in mind is that even if we only have partial liberties, that is no excuse for being a witness to the way, the truth, the life. Come what, what, what may And here is Paul, restricted to varying degrees. He's got some but not total liberty, but it's not going to hold him back. Because he's not going to confuse uppercase and lowercase authority. He knows that Felix is not uppercase authority, God is. It's God who raised the second member of the Trinity from the grave. So God sovereignly works it out that some of his friends would be able to come in, come out of that setting, that archaeological setting we spotted, the procurator's palace, to be able to visit with Paul the way Bunyan experienced it while in Great Britain proclaiming the gospel and so on and so forth. But God has a way of breaking into the restricted settings that we find ourselves in. It was the Soviet gulag. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, during the time in which the Soviet Union seemed to have the upper hand, they didn't. He was working the fields in his account. His days, a pattern of back-breaking labor, slow starvation. One day, the hopelessness became so much to bear where Solzhenitsyn felt no purpose in fighting on His life, it seemed, could make no ultimate difference. You ever felt that way? Laying his shovel down, he walked slowly to a crude worksite bench. He knew that at any moment a god would order him up. When he failed to respond, bludgeon him to death, probably with his own shovel. He'd seen it happen so many times. As he sat waiting, head down, He felt a presence. Slowly, he lifted his eyes. Next to him, the writer pens, sat an old man with a wrinkled, utterly expressionless face. Hunched over, the man drew a stick through the sand at Solzhenitsyn's feet deliberately tracing out the sign of the cross. Solzhenitsyn was not alone when his liberties were being denied. As Solzhenitsyn stared at that rough outline, his entire perspective shifted. He knew he was merely one man against the Soviet Empire, yet in that moment he also knew that the hope of all humankind was represented by that simple cross, its power, 
anything was possible. So Jeanetson got back up, picked up his shovel, went back to the work, not knowing that his writings on truth and freedom would one day shake the entire globe. He would write a three-volume work I have in our living room, the Gulag Archipelago. Joseph was in prison, but there was a presence there. God was with him. Daniel was in prison. But then again, when you look at your insert this week, we pen the thought that Daniel, who was a Jewish exile in Babylon, would be able to say this to King Nebuchadnezzar, Therefore, O king, <coughs> let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel 4, verse 27 he would say that to the ruler of Babylon. He offers us then a model of how to exercise influence on civil government even when personal liberties are being restricted. Solzhenitsyn models it. Bunyan modeled it. Paul models it. So let's not so much bemoan the restrictions as be able to embrace the opportunities and communicate the way to people that are looking carefully as to whether or not there is meaning, ultimate meaning to life. Now, out of verses 22 and 23, we saw the first obstacle personal liberties are being restricted. You still, I still have opportunity to exercise significant influence on civil government. He does it in his incarcerated state. But now you and I are given the opportunity to be able to see here now a second obstacle that you and I need to overcome. That second of all, Christians can exercise significant influence on civil government, even when essential truths are being avoided. In other words, when your legislators, when your governors, when the various people that confuse lowercase and uppercase authority are being challenged by the truths of God's word, when God's word is being taught, don't be surprised like an LBJ at a moment with Billy Graham wants to create a sense of distance, but there's a tension because at the same time there will be a back and forth, back and forth as there was with him, so there is in this text. Because notice now you're up to verse 24. And in verse 24, after some days. Now we don't know how many days are some days at this point. All we know is that Paul is still in captivity, Roman captivity. And Felix, the governor, he's got this wife by the name of Drusilla, and this is no accident in time. This is an appointment with time because, you see, Drusilla is Jewish. Is this where 
Is this where Felix is becoming increasingly aware of the people known as the way? What is it about Drusilla that would allow for her to be able to talk about these people at great length? It has to do with her father. Her father, you see, was Herod Agrippa I. And where did we encounter Herod Agrippa I? In Acts chapter 12, we had read about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, that was her dad. And now she's got awareness that she can bring to Felix. Because just as her dad was challenged by the Jewish issue, so now we find likewise in this account is that Felix is being challenged by the Jewish issue, bearing in mind what we talked about, that he has been reported by the Jews to Rome with regard to the lack of ability and authority in his, in his work as governor. And so now, as we saw Paul's got his friends. In 23, there's a coming. There's a going. None of his friends should be prevented from attending, attending to his needs. They're probably bringing him his f- food. Hummus, probably. Hummus. When you go to Israel, you get hummus, and you get hummus, and you get more hummus. It's a gastrointestinal crisis waiting to happen. <laughs> is a Middle Eastern gastrointestinal crisis waiting to happen. And then they'll probably give you chicken schnitzel after that. Been there, done it. Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul. Heard him speak. But he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus, you see. Now notice that he didn't merely hear him speak about faith. Faith has to have an object. I remember one time standing on the pitcher's mound and the coach came out after I had given up still another home run and he would pat me on the back and say, you got to have faith. And I was reaching a point when I was getting a sense God was leading me in a different direction. And all I could think of was that faith needs an object as he left. You don't put faith in faith, but what and who do you put faith in? And the answer is you put faith in Christ Jesus. Now, by using Christ Jesus, and he starts with Christ, that was spoken to Drusilla the Jewish, you see, because that is the word for Messiah the Messiah, Jesus. I can almost sense now she's whispering into Felix's ear. Felix is whispering into her ear, back and forth as they're eating their hummus. And in the midst of it all here at this point, what we find is that as he has spoken about faith in Christ Jesus, notice how he goes about doing it. You're up to verse 25. He reasoned. 
The Greek word here to reason is dialegmai. Dialogue. In other words, there's a give and a take. Paul says something, Felix responds. Felix says something, Paul responds. This is not monologue. This is dialogue. And I would argue that in a secularized and growing secularization of a culture, believers have got to be equipped as people of the way to enter into what I will call dialogical evangelism. Dialogical discipleship. Where we introduce uppercase authority to people who are trying to make the lowercase the uppercase. He is dialogical, not monological. He's not going to talk and Felix is going to have to listen. What he shows Felix is that he's interested in Felix. He wants to know Felix at a personal level as well as a policy level. And what does he do? Draws out three significant aspects of his reasoning. He reasons, number one in verse 25, about righteousness. Paul would write to the Romans about justification by faith alone. And justification carries with the idea to be declared righteous, which is a legal term. And Paul's in the midst of a legal hearing. Self-control. He would pen thoughts about that in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Fruit of the Spirit and the coming judgment. But by saying that then, what he is now doing is that using a threefold approach, he understands where Felix is coming from in the personal level of life and in the policy decision-making levels of life as well. And he's forcing Felix now to consider there is someone greater than Felix here. There is an authority greater than Rome here. And he's doing it dialogically, not in the form of a monologue. Chuck Coson. A well-known media figure once invited me to dinner. Come talk to me about God, he said. Soon, my friend, whom I'm going to call Tom, was sitting across from me in a posh New York restaurant. I had no clue to the tough intellectual battle that was about to begin. I don't believe in God, Tom told me straight up. But I'd like to hear what you have to say, dialogical. He was trying to maintain his newsman's cultivated air of cynicism, but watch the eyes. His eyes were eager. Look into the eyes. As you look into the eyes, you look into the heart. He was obviously searching. Colson's going to have to try various on-ramps. I started telling my testimony, but Tom cut me off. I know your story. Obviously, Jesus works for you. Switch gears. Tom had suffered health problems. Surely he had wondered about death and afterlife. But again, he cut in. 
Heaven is a myth invented in primitive times, he declared. I quoted scripture, but Tom held up his hand. Study the Bible, wonderful collection of ancient fables. Now what are you going to do? What's your starting point? This is your culture. This is where things are at. The cultural shapes the political. But you see, the spiritual is meant to shape the cultural and the cultural the political. Choose your on-ramp. I fumbled with my fork until finally a, a new idea popped into my mind. Have you ever seen Woody Allen's movie, Crimes and Misdemeanors? Now, that's a way to disarm somebody in a hurry. Go to the movies. I read, by the way, personally, all kinds of evaluations and critics' writings on various movies that have been out there. It's a way to evangelize. Well, yes, he had. It's about a doctor who hires a killer. He's haunted by guilt. His Jewish father had taught him that God sees all and will surely bring justice, but the doctor's crime is never discovered, and eventually he quells conscience by declaring that the real world, there is no justice. The life is nothing but a Darwinian struggle where the ruthless prevail. Well, for the first time now, Tom was thoughtful, picking at his food. Now, as I would put it, now he's found his on-ramp, now he's going to shift lanes. I went on Tolstoy's War and Peace, where the central character, Pierre, wrestles with his conscience, crying out, why is it that I know what is right, yet I do what is wrong? That led me to C.S. Lewis's argument for natural law. And then to the Bible, to Romans, which teaches that, try as we might, we cannot run from the voice of conscience. Choose your on-ramps wisely. Sometimes the Bible is your initial on-ramp. But really, the Bible has got to be more of your destination, getting them into God's words, seeing that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, the, of God, and so on and so forth. Well, now, at this point, it's dialogical. Felix has heard about righteousness. He's heard about self-control. He's, he's heard about the coming judgment, which means that he's not an ultimate. He doesn't have ultimate authority, and God does. What does he do? Watch the emotional state of individuals that you minister to in family, colleagues at work, neighbors, political figures. He's alarmed. You see it there in that verse. In verse 25, Felix was alarmed. This is an extraordinary emotional response. Paul has gone to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the heart. You see. What does Felix do? Notice what he says. Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, 
I'll summon you. Don't call me. I'll call you. Type thinking. As far as I can tell, there was only one time where Felix had ever been alarmed by Paul, and this was it. And over the course of time, you become desensitized to the alarm systems of life. C.S. Lewis. Screw tape letters. Where you've got the senior devil mentoring this junior devil on ways to be able to confront and restrict and limit the influence of Christianity. Referring to God, you see, as the enemy. We're listening in now as the senior devil tutors the junior devil in screw tape letters with these thoughts. Tell people that God is real. Tell them that they should have faith in him. Notice he never mentions Jesus' name. Tell them that the gospel is true and that he died to save them from their sins. But then, tell them there is no hurry. You can wait for more opportune time. Christians can exercise significant influence on civil government even when civil liberties are being restricted even when essential truths are being avoided as Paul now has taken truth and he's brought the authority slash accountability tension to the forefront you're on to the third the third obstacle Thirdly, Christians can exercise significant influence on civil government. Even when, thirdly, ulterior motives are being employed. For you see now, you're picking it up here in these final verses, verse, verse 26 and 27, and at the same time, he, speaking of the governor, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. He's got ulterior motives, you see, for hanging with Paul and Paul hanging with him. But you know something? God can even use the ulterior motives of someone who's resisting the gospel to continuously force them to one more time. When somebody's keeping you at a distance and he calls you back, pushes you away, then brings you back, pushes you away, and then brings you back, this is the tension of the gospel at work. Ah, uh, it might be his ulterior motives, Felix's, but it is God's ultimate truth that supersedes Felix's ulterior motives. And whenever you're dealing with people with ulterior motives, embrace the ultimate truth that's being brought in to even the most awkward of encounters of life. Felix is simply hoping that money is going to be brought to him by Paul, given him by Paul. So he sent for him often, and yet we're told, conversed with him. Is Paul going to be released? Is he going to get his freedom? America loves freedom. Two years elapse. 
long two years. Joseph had been imprisoned. David had to wait. Moses had to wait. Seems as though you go through the Older Testament and everybody is having to wait. When two years had elapsed and he's still there, Felix is succeeded by Porcius Festus, but back to Felix, desiring to do the Jews a favor, in other words, to be able to keep them happy because they keep reporting on him to Rome, Felix left Paul in prison. And I thought about that. And when you begin to ponder the significance of this and what it is that God, God is doing, consider the waiting room of life. As one puts it, the receptionist took my name, recorded my data, gestured for a chair, have a seat, we'll call you when the doctor is ready. And I looked around, a mother holding a sleepy child, a man in a suit thumbing through his scrolling down his, his news accounts, a woman looking at her watch, sighing. What do we have in common? We're waiting. The waiting room. Not the examination room, that's down the hall. Not the consultation room, that's on the other side of the wall. Not the treatment room, he exams, consultations, treatments, they're all going to come later, you see. No, the task at hand is the name of the room, it's the waiting room. And we in the waiting room understand our assignment, it's to wait. We don't treat each other. We don't ask the nurse for a stethoscope or blood pressure cuff. I don't pull a chair next to the woman and say, tell me what prescriptions you're taking, that's the job of the nurse. My job is to wait. And then I came across this by Ben Patterson in his book, Waiting. It's this man's persistence when common sense says give up. It says belief when there is no present evidence to back it up. Faith is forged in delay. Character is forged in delay. The forge is the gap between the promise and the fulfillment. As gold is purified and shaped in the white hot heat of a forge, so we in our faith are purified and shaped in the waiting room of life. And I thought about that because as my former pastor, Erwin Lutzer, who succeeded Warren Wearsby at the Moody Church, once put it, waiting is the rule not the exception in life for believers. So Paul waits. And his liberties are being restricted. There is this coming and going with Felix. But he is continuously reasoning things through. And as he does so, he's influencing the mindset of this man and his successor, and setting up the trajectory by God's promise being fulfilled when he is eventually from Caesarea sent to Rome where God's promise is fulfilled. God fulfills his promises, but the delays, they're part of the design. 
for his glory. Let's stand together. So, Father, exercising influence, significant influence. We don't wait for elections to exercise this influence. We can have coffee with a school board member. We can spend time with an alderman, get to know a mayor from the various towns that this congregation is represented by. Through it all, Father, what we've got to bear in mind is that we have put our faith and trust in the one who is uppercase authority. Jesus reigns. The grave is empty. And because of that, Father, even the most restricted of circumstances we find ourselves in, we of all people who know Jesus have true freedom and is found in Jesus Christ. And for this, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.